Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. And I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Buck Sanders and Jason Staples. Carolina won by 30 over Old Dominion and guys toot my own horn. I predicted 40 to 10, which I believe is 30-point win. But I guess the biggest news coming out of that game is the injury bug just keeps right on nipping at Carolina's heels. Dalton in a boot after the game. William Sweet in street clothes. Somebody on Twitter got into me saying that Carolina's strength and conditioning is the reason for all these injuries. And I've told y'all off the air my response, but but what would your response to be be to someone that thinks that there's some blame with this coaching staff for the injury bug? Well, if you use uh, any kind of deductive reasoning, you could go with the fact that in 2015, UNC was virtually injury-free, and they had the same strength and conditioning staff then as they have now. So if a staff can get it through a season injury-free, either they're doing everything right from a S&C standpoint to prevent that, or it's Injuries are just basically random events. When you roll an ankle, I've rolled ankles before. I'm pretty sure both of you guys have. I don't think it had much to do with, you know, how much time I spent strengthening that ankle to prevent it from rolling. So I I think a lot of injuries are just random events. Football is a contact sport. Well, I'll take that back. Basketball is a contact sport. Football is a collision sport. And when you have collisions with uh, athletes that big, that strong, that fast, you're going to have some injuries from time to time. When and how they occur, probably due to chance more so than anything else. Jason, I think what people need to do is be on the sidelines, you know, or in a game, but be on the sidelines. And even a high school ball game, College is just completely different. I mean, it's not, there's no comparison unless you're at the very high level of high school, which I think your team saw this past weekend. (laughs) But I've always been of the opinion that I can't believe guys don't get hurt more than they do. You've been there, you've been on that field, you've certainly been on the sidelines. Your take on what's going on? Well, first of all, everybody after about the second day of contact is hurt. That's the reality, is every team in the country is banged up and bruised and limping or hurting from something. Somebody on, you know, basically everybody on every team in the country is doing limping and hurting from something by like the second, third practice, full contact practice. That's the reality. Now, there's a difference between hurt, you know, being a little dinged up, and being injured, and what we're seeing is some injuries. And Buck's right that there's, to a certain, I mean, yes, you can work on core strength and flexibility and joint mobility and do a lot of balance work and all this other stuff to to reduce the likelihood of, say, rolling an ankle or whatever. And yes, Buck, I have uh, rolled my ankles more times than I can count. I actually had a full ankle reconstruction uh, thanks to having no lateral ligaments eventually. Thank you, Dr. Logel down there. Um, I think he listens to this podcast actually. So uh, uh, great job. 
Ankles Maybe never we been... could get him on. To yeah, I don't know. I don't see run, Jason. I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I, he he he's done a lot of work for UNC athletes, so uh, I, I I imagine that he'd be happy to happy to uh, fill us in on on how some of this works. But but yeah, I mean, there's a certain point where when you twist a certain way or you get hit a certain way or you plan a certain way, it does not matter how you conditioned. It does not matter how strong you are, except that when you're stronger in some cases, like Bo Jackson, for example, you're actually strong enough to hurt yourself, to injure yourself. A normal human being doesn't, is not capable of pulling his hip out of, out of its socket the way that Bo Jackson did to end his career. But you can get strong enough by training to where that actually becomes possible. So that's, that's one, of the, one of the weird things about this. But no, North Carolina's strength and conditioning program is right. You know, they they operate according to the best practices of of strength and conditioning that basically everybody at all the major programs in the country do. If you walked into UNC and watched what they did on a daily basis, and then you went down to Alabama and watched what they did on a daily basis, you would be struck by the fact that ninety to ninety five percent of what they're doing is going to be the same. And you know, the reality is that, like what Buck said, in 2015, that was one of the healthiest seasons you will ever see. Reversion back to the mean, 2016 was pretty normal, and now the pendulum has swung completely in the other direction to where, listen, if I'm, the way that this injury bug has seemed to go, if I'm playing, if I'm the, the UNC player who's, you know, playing the best or maybe most valuable coming into this game, I'm looking over my shoulder and maybe saying an extra, extra few rosaries or something. Because it seems like whoever is of high value is has got a target on their back for the uh, injury monster right now, and and that also tells you something that it's not the guys that are shirking the work, it's not the guys that aren't good that aren't training that are that are getting uh, that are getting hurt. It's the guys that are in the best condition. It's the guys that you would expect probably not to get hurt. And like like Buck said, it's a violent collision sport. Injuries are gonna happen. It's just a matter, for the most part, of luck. Some of it has to do with fatigue. Yes, a more fatigued athlete is more likely to get hurt. Some of it has to do with if you're the bigger and stronger athlete than the guy that you're up against, you're probably less likely to get hurt than that guy. So some of it comes down to that. But even once you adjust for that, so much of it is just straight up dumb luck. But let's look at who played after the injuries. And I thought the offensive line did remarkably well people are going to say well it was ODU but if we remember ODU came into that game leading the nation in sacks and I've, I've always thought if you've got a guy that gets off the edge in a hurry the best thing to do is run right at him or just inside of him Carolina and Jordan Brown specifically and Michael Carter had a lot of success running the football your take on how that went down how the offensive line played in your mind well yeah, granted, it was ODU, and yes, they had 15 sacks, but those, those sacks came against competition that probably can't recruit at the level that ODU recruits. We're talking about FCS team out Albany and UMass. So ODU, no doubt, probably gets better athletes than those guys. So having 15 sacks going into that game, when I saw that, I said, wow, that's impressive. But the level of competition that it came against is not so impressive. So North Carolina, no, no question, 
is able to recruit athletes at a different level than ODU right now. So it didn't surprise me too much that North Carolina had some success running the ball. Although, as I talked about in my column yesterday, none of the guys that were on the field in the second half were penciled in as starters before fall uh, fall camp began, except for Nick Polino. And Nick Polino only came back into the game after there was an injury to Khalil Rogers. Polino played hurt. So the fact that those guys who were going into the year considered to be reserves at their positions, many of them very young, J.J. McCargo, a redshirt freshman, Masonville, I believe, maybe a sophomore. Plino's a sophomore. They haven't had a lot of snaps. And for those guys to be able to get to the second level, which is what happened a lot for UNC's running backs, uh, Jordan Brown and Michael Carter, to get those 10, 12-yard carries, 20-yard carries, uh, that was pretty impressive. And I thought Masonville, the times I saw him, looked okay in pass protection. So the, the fact that they're performing that the way they are, even though these weren't the guys going into the year and they, they weren't expected to, to have to perform, even against a team like ODU this year, I thought was pretty impressive. Jason, even with – even despite it being ODU – Having some success for this bunch, especially some guys like Veal, like Buck talked about, and other guys that haven't played, bodes well, doesn't it? I mean, of course you want confidence, but you can't get confidence until you accomplish something other than, and if you have it before that, then as Mike Ingersoll calls it, a fake tough guy. But Carolina had success against older men, and it bodes well preparing for Duke, doesn't it? Yeah, it it gives you a lot of a lot of confidence for one going in that you can that you can at least do your job and continue to to do what the coaches want you to do uh to do what you're going to be asked to do against a better against a better team. So so yeah, that goes a long way. Uh it also really helps to get live reps just to make sure that you're you're developing some sense of of chemistry and so on with the guys that are next to you especially on the offensive line. So, so that stuff really helps, but you do have to grade on a curve because of who it's against. I mean, these guys are all physically better than the guys that were across from them. And that's not going to be the same. That's not going to be the case the rest of the year. Basically, they're going to be able, they're going to be playing teams most part that are, they're equal across the board, or, you know, they'll have at least a few players that are, they're equal or better across from them uh, here and there. So you know that that adjustment still still takes time but yeah it definitely helps to to be able to rep properly and do it right with the lights on next to somebody that you know maybe you haven't done it next to for a while all that stuff helps quite a bit it just it remains to be seen how much that's really going to carry over once they once they're doing it against somebody where you know what? That combo block, it's harder to get to the second level when you're blocking somebody who can penetrate and and split that double team and you actually have to pay a little more attention to that. It's harder to, you know, do some of the things that they did in this game when you're playing against against a defensive line that you that you really have to be concerned with. And and 
Duke's defensive line this year has been surprisingly good to me. They, they've, they've been surprisingly disruptive in the, in the last couple games uh, against Northwestern and, and Baylor, and they will pre uh, present a challenge up front. Stay with you. Let's talk about Chaz Surratt. Grading on a curve, how do you think he played on Saturday? Um, I thought he played well. I mean, he didn't put the ball in danger, which is the first thing you look for with a young quarterback. Did he protect the ball? Did he make decisive, quick decisions that that consistently protected the ball and put and put the ball in uh, in positions where his playmakers can do what he what what the coaching staff's asking them to do? And I thought he did a good job of that. I thought he did a good job of managing the offense. And you know, he obviously is going to have those moments where he's going to flash that dynamism, that dynamic athleticism that really makes him is, is probably the biggest reason that he's out there at this point, other than Harris not seizing the job. And at that point, if he, if, if he's not a whole lot better than the kid that's young, you might as well, might as well get, you know, the growth of the, of the younger guy, but that dynamism sure something to watch. I mean, he's as dynamic a quarterback as they've had in a while. And like I said, I, I thought he, again, he didn't put the ball in danger. He consistently made the reads that you'd hope he would make. He was a little slow on a couple, you know, he, he still isn't quite as, as quick to process on certain things from the pocket as what you'd like to see. But most of that is the sort of thing that he can get faster on, get, get better at as he gains more and more experience. And he continues to, I think, show that he's really developed a lot as a pocket passer. He's got a little ways to go still, but the progress from even from the spring has, has continued to be really evident and that that that's got to bode well for for uh the rest of the year and particularly as as he moves forward because if he can continue to grow there you know, he, he showed a lot again grading on a curve but you know you can't fake ball position even against air if you put the ball in the right spot that's good <laughs> so I, I think uh I, I i certainly would give him a b or better based on what i saw in this game and you know that's that's still that's even accounting for you know, dropping that just a little bit because of the uh, the qual the lack of quality of opponent. Do you think? And to be honest, I thought that Harris should have played more. But did you have an issue at all with them giving Surratt the reps deep into the ball game? I had no problem with the way that they handled that that quarterback situation in this game. I I, I thought going in that if Surratt was healthy. And you really think that he's the he's the guy going forward? That it makes sense to play him a few extra reps and get him a little deeper in the ball game, because he is a guy that needs those reps to continue to develop. And if you got Duke on deck, he needs to be absolutely ready to go. And there's bound to have been some stuff that they wanted to make sure that they could work with him to prepare. Again, this week was not just about beating ODU. This week was about preparing for Duke. And so there's some stuff that they're going to want to make sure that they can rep, maybe some stuff that he wasn't as comfortable with during the week, but they know that they need to be able to at least show and be able to do against Duke. Well, those extra reps give you the chance to do some of that and also to play with a, with a little bit different combination of guys, which the way that guys are dropping, maybe, maybe, maybe that needs to happen even more. But to me, it makes sense. If you think he's going to be the guy going forward, that you continue to give him the the lion's share of the reps and you know brandon harris didn't seize the job they're not beholden they, they don't they don't owe him anything in terms of making sure that he gets reps if he hasn't 
been significantly better than Surratt, then if I'm the coach, I default to the younger guy in general. And the other thing that you have to remember here too is which kid is from North Carolina on the recruiting side that matters. So, you know, cause that continues to further your relationships there and that, that don't think that that doesn't come into play as well. But I think the number one thing is you've got a young guy who has performed overall the best. Well, you better give him a reps then. So I had no objection to how they handled it. Buck, I take it you agree with that. I mean, Surratt looked good. My thing was the way people were getting hurt, get the kid out of there. <laughs> um, but I certainly agree with getting him a lot of reps. Buck, your take. Yeah, I agree with everything that Jason said. Obviously, he's going to get better with the nuances uh, involved in the game. He's going to get better at reading defenses. He's going to get better uh, just uh, being able to study film and, and understand what needs to happen on certain plays. He can improve mechanically still some, um, work on those things and get better. The thing that, that stuck out to me pretty much was his ability to be hard-nosed near the end zone. You know, he had those two runs to get into the end zone. And, you know, some guys have that level of toughness that are just, like, not going to be denied. And some guys don't. And Surratt, he didn't mind taking it right in the middle of the field uh, and cutting back inside to to get that extra yardage for the touchdown on the long one that he had. And so seeing somebody display that sort of hard-nosed attribute is, um, you know, that that'll help him and bode well down the road, I think. Carolina's offense, tough, tough to argue with 53 points. Uh, the receiving core spread out nicely. A lot to get ready for for Duke, though, on that end. But, Jason, let's turn to the defensive side. I thought Carolina played pretty well. Again, it's Old Dominion, but I felt like, given the injuries and some things that needed to get accomplished, I thought they looked acceptable or acceptable plus against the Monarchs. Your take? Yeah, I think I think the defense played acceptable, an accept at an acceptable level through probably the first three quarters. Uh, I don't think anybody on the on the coaching staff was probably very happy with how they closed the game. I think they would have wanted to to close them out, particularly once they went with that more mobile quarterback who was somehow getting compared to Michael Vick on the broadcast. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, uh, but they, you know, I thought they lost some discipline once that quarterback came in. Uh, they, there were some times, there were some, some occasions where they had some opportunities to make some tackles in the backfield or near the line of scrimmage and didn't wrap up the way that you'd like. Uh, there were some times where they lost their rush lanes against him and gave up some plays that I think were concerning moving forward, particularly with the, with Duke, with, with uh, Daniel Jones, who can, who can run the ball, uh, who can scramble. So, you know, I, I, there were, there were a few things that I was concerned about in terms of some of the breakdowns and discipline, uh, particularly after Jalen Dalton went out. But I think once the once they were up a little bit, I I, I just I I thought that was something something that that I don't know that it's going to be a good week on that front for for the defense. They're they're going to have they're going to definitely want to work on that, and and uh, in terms of film, they'll 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 probably uh, highlight that a little bit. 
and and then you know they gave up a couple big plays in the passing game that frankly should never have happened. So yes, you know being more aggressive, you open yourself up potentially to that, but you you can't afford to give up those big plays. You can't give up a seventy five yard play to Old Dominion. You just can't do it. And they continue to have some busts back there that that have to be resolved. That you know if, if I'm looking at it as a coach, I'm. I'm pretty pleased with how things went in the first half, maybe through the first part of the third quarter, and then I'm 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 not real happy with how we closed out the game. That's that that would be my my take on it as a coach. Look, your take on it. I mean, I agree with Jason. I mean, I I just think we're going to see a bust a week, at least in the in the defensive backfield, and they give up a long pass. I, it's just become so commonplace. Um, but other than that even though you can't really kick that out, especially with Duke on the horizon, your thoughts on the defensive play? Well, I thought certainly this is the most aggressive I've seen North Carolina play, especially the way they started the game. I think they sent a blitzer, what, five out of the first six plays Old Dominion had. So they they were sending – more than four. They weren't trying to get to the quarterback with just four guys. And it paid off, in the at least on the stat sheet. Granted, we're going to say this like every other breath, it was ODU. <laughs> um, but they, they had eight tackles for loss. And a lot of those tackles for loss and the sacks, those kinds of things were due to, you know, I, I looked at it uh, on this, uh, from compared it to last year. They had 19 quarterback hurries in all of 2016. So far this year, they have 18. They've almost surpassed their season total in quarterback hurries in three games. So they're definitely getting after uh, quarterbacks with a lot more vigor than what we're used to seeing uh, previously. You, you'd you like to do that. You'd like to see that. But as Jason says, in the process, you can't be giving up 70-yard passes. That's not really a fair exchange. Now, can they clean that up? I don't know. Is it a personnel issue? I don't know. Uh, I thought Miles Wolfert looked pretty good at times. I think maybe this is his first game back, I think, Tommy. I, think I have that's not what... noticed him since. Yeah, I haven't noticed him this season. Yeah, I think this is his first game back, and I thought he looked pretty good. I thought J.K. Britt looked pretty good. He was making plays. The only time I saw him or mentioned him getting noticed or his name being called was when he was making a good play, which is a great sign because you're going to get your name mentioned on TV if you blow a big – allow a huge reception or do something really dumb. So – Having those two players kind of step up in this game a little bit, I think it's encouraging. I don't know what all the uh, answers are. And I thought about this today, and I started to say something about it in my column, but I'm not quite sure, and I'll probably need to ask both of you. Last year, we saw Patrice Rene get picked on a lot to the point that I think maybe he lost some confidence and he piled up a few pass interference calls. I haven't seen the same thing this year. I, uh, through three games at least, 
Uh, I don't see Patricia Renee getting picked on quite as often. And I, I wonder, and maybe Jason can answer this, and maybe you can too, Tommy. Do you think that's a result of just being in the program for another year and and teams not going his way intentionally? Because it just when when we see a a play that we wish didn't happen in the defensive backfield, the culprit is usually not Renee, and that that's not what it was like last year. I'll defer to Jason. I will say that there's probably another lower hanging fruit back there <laughs> not named Patrice or nay and then maybe that's a little harsh but Jason I'll let you run with it I'm going to echo what what Tommy said to begin with that r- as of right now there's other potential targets plural that teams are better off going after than Renee first of all so I mean they went after him last year because you had a choice you're going to go after Lawrence you're going to go after MJ Stewart or you're going to go after the freshman well, I know where I'm going, so that's one. The other is that he's really improved. I saw it when I was there watching practice in the spring. He really stood out to me as having an edge to him and, and, and covering really well. And I think that's carried over to the season. He hasn't gotten beat a whole lot, and he's not somebody that, that there's been a whole lot to take advantage of. So you combine that then with a few other targets and I think most of the listeners out there could have some sense of which guys those might be based on who teams have have decided to target that yeah teams are are not going after him and they're trying to find easier prey elsewhere which says a lot about his growth real quick guys before we close the show Buck what do you want to see the heels improve on before Duke comes to Keenan on Saturday and you have to pick one thing you can't say everything. You got to give me one specific thing you'll be looking for on Saturday against Duke that maybe we hadn't seen enough of or at all thus far this season. Well, I think I'd like to have a 55 gallon drum of magic pixie dust to <laughs> sprinkle on the team that wards off injuries would be my, my first thing I'd like to see. Yeah. I, I don't really know, Tommy. Um, I think that the offense can score enough points to beat Duke. And I think that they've got some stuff to clean up this week from the special team side of things. But if they get good play out of the special teams, then that's also going to help them in the mission to uh, try to beat uh, the Blue Devils. The huge question mark, as we all know, is the defense. Can the defense be good enough so that even though they lose that phase of the game in in terms of it's not as good as the other two, if you can win on offense and you can win on special teams and the defense can do just enough, that's what I'd like to see. The defense has to do enough to allow, I think, the offense and special teams to win the game. Jason, your take there, Carolina has four days of practice, three days in a walkthrough of practice to get ready for Duke. What do you think uh, this coaching staff will be working on the most? Line of scrimmage discipline on defense for one and coverage, communication, and responsibility as the second one. Uh, On defense, they just cannot afford to give up big plays like they've done the first three weeks. When you're when you're playing against a team that is already pretty good on both on the both sides of the, the line of scrimmage uh, up front, 
So finding ways to make sure that they've got no miscommunications, no coverage busts, and you know, th- five guys in the secondary, seven guys in your back seven that you feel can cover, regardless of who they're bringing out in terms of matchups. I think that's that's one big thing is making sure that they can shore up some of those those busts that have really cost them some big plays on the defensive side. On the offensive side, I think really it's just refining the stuff that they've done already. I mean, this is this this is going to be a, a game where they're going to need to be able to run the football a lot better than they did against uh, against Louisville. They're going to need to maintain some balance and they're and be able to throw off of that. If they have to throw a bunch in this game, they're probably not going to win. And that's nothing against Surratt. That's just you've got basically a less proven, less uh, experienced uh, stable of receivers, and you're probably going to end up behind the chains a lot more if you have to throw it a bunch. But if they can run the football, if they can be physical and get some chemistry built up front over the next few days, then the, then they'll have a chance. But to me, it's the it's the chemistry up front on the offensive side making sure that you're fit, that you're going to match duke's physicality because they are a cutcliffe team is going to be physical that you match their physicality up front that the fits in the pass in the uh, pass rush are are good the lanes are good so you don't give up uh give up scrambles and rushes to the quarterback and that the the secondary isn't letting anybody behind him i think those are your 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 key points this week going in Asked us for one thing each. I think we went over that limit, both of us, Jason. <laughs> I'm used to better. it. I, I just what I do is I set my alarm and I take a two or three minute nap after every question. It works out. Turns into a great podcast. I don't make a fool out of myself. Y'all are the smart ones, and everybody likes it. Guys, we'll talk plenty. Duke Week is upon us. I think discipline and health are the keys getting ready for that ball game. Boys, it's been fun. Always, Tommy. Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.